0: This is Ellery. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that we had a couple technical difficulties during the recording, so you may notice that the audio quality isn't necessarily great for everybody. We will hopefully have that fixed before the next time that we record. That being said, I do hope you enjoy the rest of the episode, and we will be back with better audio quality and also some fun guests.
1: Yahoo. Yeah.
0: do them for the same length of time or on like good pitches and I love how terrible it is every time
1: of course
0: yeah every time I try to decide
2: how much of like copyright infringement I want and every time I change my mind
1: I mean here's the thing is that it's the same vowel for most of it so
0: it's just O's. Mm-hmm.
1: So so we're in sync for most of
0: it It's a parody. It's transformational. Don't sue me.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Yell Parks Pod, the number one podcast for yelling about parks. I'm Ola. I use E-M or they-them pronouns. I'm
0: Ellery. I use they-them pronouns. And I'm Nick. I use they-them.
1: This month, delayed a little bit, um, unfortunately, this lovely month of December... We are talking about the Petrified Forest National Park. Uh, Petrified Forest National Park is located in Arizona in the southwestern United States. Uh, the lands of the park are mostly dry shrub plains. and the But the bad lands of the Painted Desert, which are named for the Colorful Striped Mountains, are partially in the northernmost part of the park. In 1895, the Arizona Territorial Legislature asked the U.S. Congress to create the Petrified Forest National Park. In the first attempt failed, but in 1906, the Antiquities Act, signed by Theodore Roosevelt, was used to create the Petrified Forest National Monument as the second national monument in the United States. It was made into a national park in 1962. And, uh petrified wood was made the Arizona state fossil in 1988. Time out real quick. Yeah. Hold on cuz I didn't get I didn't mention in any of that the native people of the area and I feel like that was just a blind spot in our research.
0: I mean, we are talking about the petroglyphs which were like super early. But the the Tribes are all listed in the outro.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Although it doesn't include the um, what is it, the Hoppy, uh Hoppy? which I know their reservation is inside the Navajo reservation. That's that like borders the park, right?
1: Um, you know what? You know what? I know I because I remember looking for it on the natu- on the Park Service website. Some of these. Uh-huh. maybe this will be a topic for another time note to self some of these websites for national parks even though they're all on the NP- NPS website some of them have way more information about native tribes from the area and some of them uh, it there's uncomfortably little and this is one where it was very difficult to find information like between the like quote unquote prehistoric era and like when it became a park
0: well I also think that it's like and i i want to be clear that this is not an excuse for why it is it, I, there's also like the level of information generally on different parks is like so vastly different but yeah that's even true. within the national park service like yellowstone so much stuff
1: yellowstone is very extensive
0: but like looking at this one, looking at Carlsbad, there's almost nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had like there's stuff, but it's buried. Also, like the website. Yeah. Hard, the website is hard to navigate. Yeah. Anyway. But
0: yeah, no, I think it's honestly. I think we uh, put this maybe in the outro or so, or like a post episode. Yeah. Rant. But it like it is frustrating because, it, I mean, this park literally borders a native reservation. Like, it it shares a border with yeah. the Navajo reservation. And it's, like, you yeah. couldn't try even a little bit. Um, because, like, you can see the map. You can see the Hopi uh, reservation where... um I I don't know if it's called a reservation. But, I mean, you can see the Hopi territory inside the Navajo territory. Right. Like, it's on Google Maps. It's not that hard. And yet, it's not on... The website. Yeah. Anywhere.
1: Um, Ellery, you've prepared a little bit about Petrified Wood.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm very excited to talk about this park. I guess I'm going to go on a tangent (laughs) before we even start, I guess, um, because I was very excited for this park, which is partially why the episode was delayed, was because I really wanted to be on, and then I got sick when we were originally supposed to be recording. But it is, like, pretty close to where my grandparents live. So we would go out to Arizona to visit them a lot. And then because we were there, um, we would also go to the Petrified Forest.
2: That's cute.
0: And so it it's just been, like, a very fun place to visit. Um, I've been there many, many times. And I think it's really cool. So... Obviously, like the big thing with the Petrified Forest National Park is all of the petrified wood Mm -hmm. inside of the park. So, petrified wood is technically a fossil. It's not actually wood. There is no biological material left. But the way that petrified wood forms is when plant material is buried by sediment and protected from decay due to oxygen organisms. So um, it's put into a very thick layer of sediment and it's in a pretty oxygen-starved environment, which means that the natural process of decay can't happen. It happens at a much
1: slower rate. It's all squished in the the little bacterias and stuff that would usually eat it can't breathe. yeah. Exactly. And so they can't eat it and poop out dirt like usually they would.
0: Yeah, basically. And part of the reason that that happens is because the sediment is saturated with groundwater that is rich in uh, minerals such as silica and calcite, um, opal. So really, petrified wood is just quartz that has taken the shape of trees. And what's really cool about it is that some of the petrified wood that gets preserved is virtually indistinguishable from regular wood until you handle it. um, You can see like the bark and the tree rings and the cell structure because it has decayed so slowly while um, other specimens are more clearly, like rock and mineral, but they still have a lot of those telltale signs. Mm-hmm. And because it gets formed over long periods of time, um, the quartz mixes with other minerals. So it's just this whole like rainbow of colors. It's not uniform.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you'll get like reds and purples and greens. And it's really cool. It's really pretty. Um, I love it so much.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I've i been one time I saw it, and it really is beautiful and mm-hmm. deeply weird in some ways to see. Yeah. like, It looks like a tree, and it's made of like rock and crystal. It seems like something from a fantasy story.
0: Yeah, well, it, I've picked up chunks before, where, I mean, it looks like, oh, here's a chunk of wood, and then you pick it up, and it's, like, 10 pounds. And you're like, that's not what wood is supposed to weigh. Mm-hmm. What's going on? But there's there's another really, I guess, kind of funny thing that happens with it. Because a lot of the petrified wood is tree trunks. And they're, like, massive tree trunks. But they're also made out of quartz, which is much more brittle than living wood. And so eventually, like, the logs, some of the logs will, like, fall over, and they'll break into segments. And when that happens, it looks like someone has, like, come in with a chainsaw and just, like, cut it up into segments. I actually asked a park ranger about it one time, because I was like, who came in and, like, cut up this log, like what's going on and they're like oh no it's just made out of rock and it, at some point it like fell over and broke
1: oh that's wild that's truly wild
0: yeah which like once you understand what ha- what is happening like it makes a lot of sense it's like okay that checks out but if you don't know then you're like there's a bunch of stumps laying around That somebody has cut up and, like, put on display, I guess. Which is not what happened. Yeah. It was just, like, nature. (laughs) Um, So, petrified wood is a fossil. And originally, all of this wood was part of um, one of these giant forests that was on the North American continent. Well, I guess not technically. The North American part of Pangea, millions and millions of years ago. So the wood from the petrified forest is from the Triassic era, which was 200 to 250 million years ago. Um, So before this area was a desert, it actually used to be like a river basin. And Mm -hmm. hawk actually found this very interesting nature article that we will have a link to through studying some of this petrified wood. Scientists were actually able to find evidence of, um, drought and, uh, regrowth cycles and, um, forest fires, these ancient forest fires that happened, um, that left Uh, evidence of fire scarring as well as drought patterns inside the petrified trees. These scientists actually went in and studied the growth rings and some of the now crystallized bark of the petrified wood and they were able to see evidence of fire-resistant traits that now exist in modern trees that were essentially showing that these trees back in the Triassic era were impacted by forest fires and drought, and that helped encourage the development of these modern fire-resistant traits um, so, we see things now, like, growing thicker bark and epicormic sprouting. So, it's really cool to be able to um, use that to, like, trace the genetic development and um, evolution of trees. So, I was like, one of the things about um, petrified wood... And this is something that, as someone who has visited the park a lot, you hear stories from people. And um, so something that has always been like very relevant, I think, to this park specifically, but national parks and national monuments um, generally is preservation. One of the big things that gets talked about is... Uh, don't steal from, uh, don't steal petrified wood from the, from the park. And I'm going to talk about the curse stuff in a minute <laughs> because that there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And some of it is kind of silly mm-hmm. and some of it is bad. Some of the reasons why um, I'm very like anti taking things out of parks, even if it's small first of all, um is because it is used to contribute to scientific research. um scientists are still studying these things today. um, the nature article that I was talking about was published in twenty twenty so it's very recent. It's not like this was something that came out in nineteen seventy two um it's still being used by modern scientists to understand. Um, evolution and plant development things like that
1: surprise surprise we haven't figured it all out yet yeah
0: (laughs) right (laughs) shocking but we still don't understand how everything works the other reason is that it prevents other people from enjoying these same parts of nature as it slowly disappears right I mean the petrified forest National Park gets over half a million visitors a year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if everybody is taking something, even if it's small, that's still half a million things disappearing every year. Mm -hmm. And um, it can endanger the conservation status of places like this. Um, So in the 90s, that was a very big deal at the Petrified Forest. The Park Service was very concerned about that. and what they were looking to really was um, South Dakota's fossil Cycad National Monument. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's what I'm going with. So I guess yell at me if I'm wrong. And that National Monument held uh, one of the biggest deposits of petrified cicatidoid plants. And it actually lost its monument status in the 1950s after many of the fossils were either stolen or destroyed. That's part of it. The other reason that people typically are told not to steal from the Petrified Forest National Park is because there is this like big mythology around the Petrified Wood Curse. So the story goes, basically, that if you take a piece of petrified wood from the national park, um, and it's not something that you've bought at, like, the official gift shop or from somewhere outside of the national park, then um, you will be cursed and, like, this bad luck will follow you until you return the wood to where you took it from, right? So you have to send it back to the park to get uncursed, which there's an article from the, it's just called The Journal. They have scans of these letters that, I mean, date back to the 1960s. And apparently some of the people who work for the, the National Park Service have uh, affectionately referred to it as the shame pile mm. or the the guilt pile where people will mail in like little um, postcards or letters that are apologizing for having taken something from the park. Um, and then oftentimes they will also send the thing that they took from the park back with it. Mm hmm. Which is cute, and some of them are very funny, where it's, like, children apologizing for their parents. It's very cute. But uh, some of these are... So it's actually discouraged to send any petrified wood that you may or may not have stolen back to the park. Um, Because once it leaves, there's no way to know where it originally came from. Right. um, So it can actually disrupt some of the research. And so it's one of those things where it's like, once you take it, I mean, it's yours. They don't put it back. Even if you send it to them, park rangers are not taking wheelbarrows of, like, this petrified wood and just scattering it around the park um, because they have no way of figuring out, like where exactly you took it from or if it even came from this
1: park. Right. I wonder if the mm-hmm. mythology about the curses like actually deters stealing or if it like might increase it because people see it as like a dare.
0: Yeah. So that's actually something that came comes up in the New York Times article. Not um, there's a New York Times article that doesn't specifically talk about the curse, but they do talk about the signage that is used to deter um, visitors from mm-hmm. taking petrified wood. And what they found um is that some when the signage had like groups of people, that um that it actually increased the amount that was taken or there there was kind of a correlation between how much was taken
1: what what do you mean the signage had groups of people
0: so imagine if the sign had like two people on it yeah. and one of those mm-hmm. people on the sign was like shown taking a a rock right That it was essentially seen as, like, a group condoning that activity, whereas if there was a single person on the sign, it was less likely that it would be taken, Mm. Um, which I think is kind of reflective of the, like, in-group, out-group thing, where it's like, okay, well, if everyone's doing it, I should also do this. Right. It's not as big of a deal. Yeah. Whereas, like, if it's just one person then you're a little bit more self-conscious about it. And so I think that 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 is... There's probably a similar effect with, like, talking about the curse, Uh, which is... it's I don't believe in cursed rocks. I do believe, however, that um, it's probably not a coincidence that this national park um, borders a native reservation... Um, and also is very strongly associated with curses. Yeah. Oh, that's icky. It's something that, like, when I was younger, I didn't ever draw a connection to that. But now looking back on it, like, it feels very obvious that even though I've never heard it specifically mentioned as a Native American curse, it's like, well, mm. these two things are right next to each other. Right. And I think we're meant to infer
1: that they are connected. Yeah, it's like dog whistly almost. Yeah,
0: well, especially considering that the petrified forest protects less than 20% of the petrified wood in northeastern Arizona. There's more petrified wood that is on state land, land owned by the Bureau of Land Management, as well as within the Navajo Nation and on private property. And so that's one of those things where it's like, you really have to consider, it like, are they just specifically talking about the national park? Um, or are they also talking about um, the wood that comes from this adjacent reservation? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, this feels bad and wrong and I can't prove that this is what you're doing. But it sure seems like you want me to infer that this is, like, a Native American curse. Mm. Which is really garbage. Yeah. So, yeah. the I guess the other thing is that it's, like, it's illegal, which... I'm not a cop. I'm not gonna tell you not to do it because it's illegal. I think that there are plenty of other good reasons to not do it beyond it not being legal. Like, I have... A couple small pieces of petrified wood, you can buy it from gift shops that are in or nearby the park. It is only illegal to sell if it is taken from the park itself, but if it's collected from private property, then people are able to sell it. And that's how the gift shop in the park operates, is they use specimens from private property, and they have the permission of the landowner to sell uh to like collect and sell that petrified wood which also means that like if you want to get petrified wood you can do it just go somewhere that's not the park but yeah that's that's really what it is is that it it's like a old tree fossil that has been like Hanging around and got buried in a river, and then the river dried up and turned into a desert. And then all of the sediment that was uh, covering it also dried up and got eroded. And now we can see these cool tree rocks. Heck yeah! Yeah, and they are really pretty. We'll put some pictures up. Yeah, there's some really gorgeous photos of petrified wood, it's very cool.
1: So speaking of cool rocks, uh, Nick, you prepared a little bit about petroglyphs.
2: Yeah, I prepared a bit about petroglyphs, which prior to doing research on for this episode, um, I had never heard this word. I didn't know what this would mean. So what a petroglyph is, it's a rock carving that is made by chipping away at the desert varnish that covers the surface of rocks, Mm -hmm. which then reveals the lighter stone underneath the desert varnish Mm -hmm. that creates different images and for what desert varnish exactly is. So it's a layer of manganese, iron, and different clays that cover the surface of various desert rocks. Like another word can be like a patina. So a patina is created over the course of thousands of years as microscopic bacteria, essentially suck manganese and iron from the atmosphere and then precipitate it back onto the surface of the rock. Um, So it's fairly hardy and it's mostly only removed by the act of chipping it away or by increases in acidity in the environment, such as acid rain. Lichens can also help remove it, but lichens and desert varnish tend to be found in the same places. um, Namely because lichens need more moisture in their environments than desert varnish does. And so the Petrified Forest National Park has quite the assortment of these different petroglyphs. They're kind of everywhere.
0: That makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. And this is like you know, they don't They're not easily removed, so we have years and years and years of these just kind of building up over time as more and more are created. Mm -hmm. And so in the park, there are six classifications that these pets are normally put into. Mm -hmm. They are anthropomorphs, zoomorphs, kachina, which the word comes from the Hopi word and I'll say a little bit more in a second about what that is. Mm-hmm. Hand slash tracks, geometrics, and then indeterminate. So, indeterminate, obviously, we don't know what this marking is. We're not sure. It could kind of be anything. But anthropomorphs are people. Sometimes they're complete figures, but they typically lack facial features. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll show like different cultural items, mm-hmm. such as ceremonial staffs, prayer sticks, and rattles. Zoomorphs are different animals, all types of animals, such as cougars, birds, lizards, snakes, bats, coyotes, and rabbits. Um, And occasionally hunters are pictured alongside the animals um, as like a scene of a hunt. And now kachinas, kachina figures and masks start appearing in petroglyphs by AD 1300 in this area. And so Kachinas are actually spiritual beings that live in lakes, springs, and mountains that bring moisture to the Hopi villages and the Zuni people. So these have obviously religious significance to them um, and are important. It's important records exist. And then for the last two categories, there's hand slash tracks, which are exactly what it sounds like. They're either animal tracks, different footprints, Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, pictures of human hands. And then the last one is geometrics, which are shapes. So they have different textile or pottery designs, spirals, circles, different lines, things like that. And these patterns are often found in a lot of the artwork of living Pueblo people, such as the Hopi and the Zuli. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? It's really cool that you can, like, track throughout such a long amount of time that there are, that
0: there's a thread,
2: like, connecting all of this.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I remember on my last visit to the Petrified Forest, we made this just absolutely terrible hike out to go see some petroglyphs uh, at the recommendation of like a park ranger who worked at the information center. So we are like oh we want to go see some petroglyphs and we also like don't want to take a super far super long hike and (laughs) they were like oh well here's um, where you can go and I cannot for the life of me remember which petroglyphs these were but if you go to try to find some petroglyphs that, like, the trail starts in a culvert, like a, a, a ditch, don't do it. It sucks. You shouldn't. <laughs> there are other petroglyphs that you can go see that are probably easier to get to. But it was, like, really, really cool to be able to, like, actually get up close um, so there was like a big spiral that we saw and there was also, I don't know if it was specifically a thunderbird or just sort of more generally a bird, but there were some really interesting petroglyphs that we were able to see.
2: Yeah, and if you happen to go, you being the listener to the park and want to see some petroglyphs, one of the most famous areas for petroglyphs is newspaper rock, but it's actually rocks, multiples. So it is a group of rock faces that have over 650 petroglyphs, estimated that they were created between 650 years ago by people who lived and hunted in the area. Um, And now modern indigenous groups have assisted archaeologists in interpreting the petroglyphs that their ancestors carved hundreds to thousands of years ago. Um, And some of these interpretations include family or clan symbols, spiritual meanings, and calendar events. Others mark territory boundaries or migratory routes. And it's believed that newspaper rock was used to pass information to different indigenous groups and convey knowledge between generations. So these were made to last. They're there to convey knowledge for a very long time. Um, after people have moved from the area. And so, if you go to the park, they the newspaper route can be viewed through spotting scopes along an overlooking boardwalk. Um, unfortunately, you're not able to get up close because of the unstable hillsides. Um, it's just a little too dangerous. But they do provide those spotting scopes for you if you do want to check it out.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember when I was there, uh, we, did, we went on that... Uh, kind of overlook boardwalk to go look out at newspaper rock um Mm -hmm. i'd say if you're planning to go bring your own binoculars because those spotting scopes what they can see can be a little bit limiting and it's a really really cool cool experience to just kind of be squinting out at a rock that kind of looks like maybe it has some squiggles on it (laughs) um and then like look through look through your binoculars or just look out get a closer look like that and see like no those are drawings that's not that's this isn't just some squiggles on the rock it isn't some natural formation that's somebody made that Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it does seem very cool and you definitely should go go see some petroglyphs yeah they're very
2: something else that these petroglyphs allow us to do is we get an insight into some, oh, I'm going to say this word so wrong, <laughs> archaeoastronomy.
0: Yeah, archaeoastronomy.
2: That looks right. Yeah, it's just long. It makes me nervous. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it's the study of how cultures of the past understood the movements of the sky and how that related to their culture. Mm-hmm. So a neat little fact is that the Petrified Forest National Park contains the greatest known concentration of solar calendars with 16 of the sites being in or immediately adjacent to the park, which all the solar calendars are specifically made with petroglyphs. And so there's a few meat specific of these petroglyphs um, that mark different times throughout the year, different planetary tracks, things like that. There's a specific petroglyph in the park that looks fairly unremarkable, but it has a really neat use, which is it actually tracks the summer solstice. And so what it is, it's a simple spiral that's carved into the side of a rock. And every year, there's about a two-week period around the summer solstice that a shaft of sunlight is projected onto the boulder and travels down the side to touch the center of the spiral and it peaks about 9am where it hits that center and then it retreats. And so there's specific petroglyphs for the summer solstice, They others indicate winter solstice, both equinoxes. Um, some petroglyphs were carved to interact 45 days before and after the winter solstice, really a huge range that you know, these were carved a very long time ago, and they do show a lot of understanding of what's going on in the sky, like, between the planets, mm-hmm. which is neat. Um, and yeah, so before we move on to a neat little paleontology and fossils section that I'm very excited to hear about, a um, couple last remarks. Mm-hmm. Do not carve your own Um, Absolutely illegal. Also not a cop. Don't do it. It's disrespectful. These are areas where, you know, there's a long history of, like, very spiritual significance. And, like, these are history of people who are long gone. Disrespect the land, please.
0: Yeah, I think the moral of this story is don't not do it because it's illegal. Don't do it because it sucks and it's so disrespectful.
2: Yeah, don't be a jerk, essentially. (laughs) But yeah, you know, these are an important cultural resource and they can't be replaced once they're destroyed. So many of them still have spiritual and cultural significance to indigenous peoples that still exist today. But even if they did not, they held significance for the people who carved them and therefore should be treated with the utmost respect. And so although many petroglyphs have lasted hundreds to thousands of years, they're still fragile and can be easily damaged. So it's important to stay on the trails, provided for visitors, and climbing down rock faces to get a closer look is only going to damage them. Um, And even the oils from your hands can have an impact, so don't touch them, (laughs) you know? These should be treated as sacred. They're really important. They're really cool, but enjoy from a distance. And yeah, so if we want to move on and hear about some fossils, I would be very interested in hearing that.
1: Yeah, going back from a long time ago to a long, long, long time ago, <laughs> the petroid Forest doesn't just have fossils of trees in it. A huge collection of Triassic-era fossils have been found in the park, mostly uh, reptiles um, and the ancestors of dinosaurs and therefore modern birds and also other modern creatures like crocodiles. Um, And so this, this group of reptiles that became birds and crocodilians are called archosaurs, which yeah, birds are reptiles. That is
0: weird. Ola and I were having a conversation about this before we started recording. And I think both (laughs) came to the agreement. That it's messed up that birds are reptiles.
1: It's messed up that birds are reptiles. How are we supposed to figure that out? We did, but it's weird. <laughs> right? Um,
0: Taking the hard stance, maybe this is something that science is wrong about. Oh my god, yeah.
1: It's absolutely wild. This isn't something I've researched. I think for a while we thought that dinosaurs weren't reptiles because they were birds. And then we realized, no, they are just birds are reptiles too.
0: Although, I will say, as much as I dislike the fact that birds are reptiles, I do greatly enjoy feathered dinosaurs. And so that is one good thing that came out of this. Put feathers on your dinosaurs.
1: Yes, absolutely. So a lot of the fossils that that have been found of reptiles from the Triassic in the Petrified Forest are, like, pre-dinosaur. So dinosaurs, they got their start in, like, the mid-Triassic. And the fossils found in the Petrified Forest kind of cover that entire area. So a lot of them are, are pre-dinosaur archosaurs, um, which are split into pseudosuchian archosaurs, which are the are the... Archosaurs that evolved into crocodiles, alligators, and that sort of group. Um, and then also it splits into um archosaurs evolved into birds and their extinct relatives, aka dinosaurs. The pseudosuchian, which... So I believe pseudosuchian means fake crocodile because they thought that they were like crocodiles but not, but then it turns out that they actually were crocodiles. You know, pretty much a lot of them look like crocodiles, you know, and alligators. Like, they figured out a body plan that worked for them and stuck with it. But some of them did walk on two legs. They're still very long, elongated, but they they kind of had short little arms. Like the uh, shuvosaurids. which these are not dinosaurs, but thought to be dinosaurs for a long time. But they actually don't fall into that category there are also the poposaurids which look a little bit more like crocodiles but they look look a little goofy they've got uh they've kind of got those shorter arms uh but they those arms reach to the ground they're they're not quite belly on the ground the way that a crocodile is and then the ornithodirans includes parasaurs, psilosaurids dinosaurs and modern birds are also in this category. And and there's a lot of this that we found out because of fossils found in this area of this park because the river basin area that Ellery talked about, that it was back in the Triassic era, was such so perfectly formed to create these fossils that we have this kind of area sort of crystallized, excuse the pun, of what this... Part of the Triassic was like it gives us this huge huge amount of knowledge about what that specific era would have been like and a final fun fact moving away from reptiles and amphibian but one of the earliest records of frogs was found in the park as a fossil from the late Triassic he was uh, found inside the park so I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Dinosaurs are cool, and all the stuff that looks like dinosaurs but isn't quite a dinosaur are cool. And it's really cool that they're here in in this park.
0: Fossils are rad.
1: Yeah. So, that's that. And as we are wrapping up, does anyone want to plug anything at the end of this episode? Okay, I'll start off. So... As we wrap up this episode, we want to mention we want to plug the Navajo Water Project. It can be found at navajowaterproject.org. It's an indigenous-led project focusing on the fact that huge amounts of the Navajo community do not have access to clean running water even now. Um, And the clean water sources that are there are in danger because of nearby mining pollution. So this project works to improve water access through, uh, delivery plumbing installation and filtration, and you can financially support them through donations or store purchases, including handmade art and items. So if you are looking for gifts for the holidays or just ways to be giving, consider the Navajo water project,
0: which I will say that like, i have have several pieces that I have bought from um, indigenous artists and um, the craftsmanship is outstanding and it also like goes to a very good cause so
1: yeah um, over Christmas this year uh, there's a Christmas bird count through the Audubon Society is that what called the Audubon
0: yeah the Audubon Society I was like Audubon something. Yeah. <laughs> the German Audubon. <laughs> Different spelling. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So the Audubon Society uh has the their annual Christmas bird count. It's the nation's longest running citizen science bird project. And we'll have a link in the description if you want to get involved with that. If you want to count birds for science.
2: Yeah, and talking about more counting birds for science, Theater Watch is happening now until the end of April. <laughs> um yeah. so what this is, is you can be part of citizen science by tracking local bird visitors right in your own backyard. Data um, is used to track behavior, population size, as well as eye disease deformities emerge Bird populations. You don't need to have a bird feeder to participate. You just need to sign up um, and track all the little bird friends in your backyard.
0: And then the last thing that we have to plug is that some of us, it's not entirely uh, decided who exactly is going to be on, but some of us from Yale Parks Pod are going to be participating in a Lunar New Year live stream at the end of January. It is being hosted by some very cool folks from Blaseball. We are raising money for Youth Advocates for Climate Action Philippines, um, so it is focused specifically on climate change, which is very cool. Um, we will have more specifics about the event in January. Um, and we will, I'm sure, talk about that during um, the episode that we have, if it comes out before the live stream, uh, as well as
1: on Twitter and Tumblr. And uh, for our next episode, since this one got pushed back... We're hoping to put out our next episode in late December. If not, it will be in early January. We are going to be discussing Dartmoor National Park going across the pond, as they say, with some very cool special guests.
0: I'm very excited for guest episode. Incredibly excited.
1: It's going to be a great time. Um we also want to acknowledge that Petrified Forest National Park is on land that belongs to the uh Dine Bikéyah um or Navajo Nation, the Hopi, Pueblo and Zuni peoples. You can find more information about that by visiting native land native dash land dot ca. If you want to get in touch with us, uh email us at yellparkspod at com. You can find us on Twitter at Yellparkspod or on Tumblr at uh, yelparkspod.tumblr.com and now let's put in our final yahoo yahoo